Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Lawcast. I'm Christy Santana, and that's Melanie Thorley, and we're both here from MJT Law. Um, we're back on the Zoom podcasts. Um, I noticed that you've got a different background. Not, I do. You know, do. not the, the beautiful background in the, in the in the backyard with the nice sun, um, but I've, I've still got my blank white wall. Very... You haven't stepped up this week either, Chris. No, I don't think so. Um, I well, you need a vista, some type of beach background. Oh, just like, just a sort of slide down. Yeah, you. Today we have the beach. And then next day it's well, a it's I like the it. island or something. I have to admit, yesterday I was on a Teams meeting with my husband, Paul, and he had this background and I was like, where are you? <laughs> he was like, stupid head, it's a background. So they're, so they're getting better and better at looking more and more like a real office. And uh, I was also on a team's um, quite an important meeting on Wednesday. And uh, you know how you can kind of see from here, I, yeah. I felt hot chocolate all the way down me, but fortunately not in view of the... Of the everything going on. I was, like, I was like kind of doing this, trying to get something to put on my hot chocolate without looking like I was. Yeah. Sort of all your hands kind of keep you glow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I was in court probably six weeks ago. And obviously, uh, you know, everyone was via Zoom and all teams as it was. And uh, all the barristers involved had a background of a court, as in like, I don't know which court it was. It didn't look like the court that I used to, but uh, it's interesting that they kind of still put themselves in in it, even if, if it makes no difference, I suppose. This is true. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I've got the background. I'm on my patio today, so, the, so the, this is my house, and in front of me is my garden. So I've got a different view than I had last time, but this time I'm not wearing my hat, which I thought maybe was a little bit weird from from in hindsight but no yeah. I think I think they're kind of days of I don't know that there is a certain level of informality which is coming with with the fact of teams um I mean we've seen it with you know usually judges are very um you know very proper and very professional but when when they're just from their home I mean they're not like it's not on great cameras, it's, you know, it's still grainy, they're not on perfect eye level or any of that sort of stuff. It's just in their office. I can tell it's just in their office. Yeah, the uh, the global event's been going on for quite a while now. And I think, I mean, we say this every time, but I, we are really getting used to it. Really, really getting used to it. We haven't had clients in the office since March last year. I don't know. So, I, I don't so if you don't know, we've got a really big open plan office and I think it's just getting messier and messier. As the... oh, we're just filling it with stuff. Like just... it's just become more of a more extension of our, our personal offices. Yeah. You know, our, like... our office space is getting larger and larger. Yeah, I think we, we just, yeah, we, the office is getting sort of more and more cluttered as, as the months go by. At some oh. point we're going to have to turn it around and pull everything out. But anyway, I don't think it matters. Yeah at the moment uh, i think it's fine i mean other global event news i got my second vaccine you yes, did fully fully vaccinated. Right. we can we can say that we're 
completely vaccinated workforce. We are. We are indeed. I got my second vaccination a few weeks ago. Phoebe got hers last week. You got yours this week. James has got his on Wednesday, I believe. So, yeah, we're... We're good to go. Um, big shout out to uh, to Kuma, who was my... Uh, I'm not even sure what you call it. He was a, he was a training... Injector. Injector, yes. He was... The most gentle injection I've ever, ever had. You know, I was thinking about it overnight and it was almost less than a scratch. That's how, you know, I almost thought it didn't, it, he hadn't done it. You know, like it, I'm expecting more of it to come at some stage, but I can tell you from the, the bruise that, uh, you know, definitely happened. But and I feel fine. Didn't, didn't feel at the time. So you got yours yesterday. Yes. Is that right? Your second one yesterday. And, and how are you feeling? I feel fine. And I felt fine. You know, they say if you're going to feel anything, you'll know after about 10 to 12 hours, but then you'll feel it for about three days. Mm. If you feel anything, um, absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel sick either. I know Phoebe felt a little bit feverish, I think she said, but she said it was super mild and it wasn't really bothering her. I mean, look, I know there are people out there who have had really bad reactions. And in my view, a bad, well, they can't, don't, it's not a bad reaction. It is a, it, it is, you're, you're getting sick because your immunity is down, down because you've, you've just mm. had something that has compromised it slightly. But in my view, even if I got properly sick for three days, that is far more desirable than getting COVID. Mm. I mean, I was a big, um, I, I didn't have any issues with the flu flu jab for a long time. It's not, I didn't have a, a, um, an opinion either way, but I never used to get it routinely. I never mm -hmm. felt, but one year I actually did get influenza B um, and I have never, ever felt more sick in, in my entire life. And it, and it was so much more than what I was expecting. Mm. Um, it, I, I think it's not doing it justice to just say that it's a bad cold. It's like double, or well, if not, influenza can kill you. Yeah, and I was—I remember specifically being in the doctor's office because I'd gone to work that day, and um, you know, I sort of felt under the weather, so I thought I'd go to the doctor. And I'm in the doctor's kind of waiting room, and I remember specifically waking up in the like clinic part of the doctor we know they've got like the the nurses and what have you and i'd apparently i just kind of passed out in my chair <laughs> um, and then and i woke up to in the clinic to sort of three nurses and a doctor with so many ice packs you can't i had no part of my skin which is not on ice pack um i think my temperature was about 43 yeah. and i think over 40 you start going in and out of consciousness um and they were seriously considering putting me into hospital. And if it didn't, if they couldn't fix it, then they said, well, we'll have to call an ambulance. Um, and I felt terrible for about a week after that. Yeah. And, and I don't even think I really recovered for about six months. I had a like lingering cough yeah. and bring everything kind of a sniffle for well into the summer. And if that, if, you know, if the global disease is or virus is anything like that, then yeah, you're right. I think I would take 
take having this jab and feeling a little bit you know, mm. or for a day or two. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember that day I felt seriously. I thought if this, if I wasn't 24 years old, this would have been significant to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on a different note, uh, Menulog has uh, filed a enterprise agreement. No, sorry, an award for yep. gig economy workers. We've been talking about this for some time now. I've been calling. I'm a big advocate for it. Um, I think it's the only real way forward that that actually makes sense for so, everyone. So you believe they're employees? I think they are employees. I think. Okay. I think actually, what I should say is, I think there is a portion of their their uh, workers which employees <laughs> because there they're are all indicators there that show that they are employees, and you're of the you 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 sit in the practitioner's sort of seat that says they're more likely than not employees. We see. I, is, not, that, is that where you go with this? Oh, but I think they all have such differing working arrangements that I find it very difficult to believe that none of them are employees. Okay, well, yes, I see your point with being some of them or none of them, but so what you're saying is Menulog, because mm -hmm. that's the one that's just filed, uh, has some employees that are contractors mm -hmm. based on the criteria and some of them are employees based on the criteria. Mm. I don't know. I don't know about that, but I am interested in this award. Have, have you had a chance to look at that? I've had a small look at it, but you'll have to it's kind of refresh me. Yeah, yeah. So the, apart from all the normal stuff that are in every single award about everything yeah, under the sun, I was really interested to see that um, the and the, for those who are watching um, who are not in Australia, Australia has a massive number, like, 180 industry awards. They are documents that outline the minimum standards with which that class of employee or that industry uh, has to comply with. For instance, there might be the call centres award and everybody who's a call centre worker falls under that award and they're pages and pages and pages long. And uh, from time to time we do awards interpretation which is what you had some fun with yesterday yes, um, be difficult at times it, that it's a little I, I always tell my clients is reading an award is a little bit like landing the space shuttle into the hudson river <laughs> because it's just fraught with with danger so many complications the, the law is so unsettled everybody's disagreeing and if you manage to land it safely you've done something quite miraculous yeah, yeah. They change, also that should be said, they change all the time. <laughs> they change all the time. <laughs> if you think legislation changes a lot, these, you know, if you look through the versions. The industry documents also change, yeah. So, so that's what an award is for those who are not Australian. Um, the This is called the On Demand Delivery Services Industry Award of 2022, no less. I was really interested to see, see that what they are planning on giving is one hour shifts. Okay, that's a bit different. At a minimum, and it can be split shifts as well. 
and uh, at a minimum wage of, I have to go back to it, it's around $22. So I don't know how much a single delivery is worth. Does it, do you have any idea of what the receipt, what the deliverer actually receives in their pay? I think, from memory, I, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of them. Most of the delivery fees are anywhere between sort of five to ten dollars, depending on what it is, and they may get, you know, three dollars, two, three dollars per. Wow, delivery. so this is actually good money. Perhaps. You're not going to be able to make ten deliveries in an hour, are you? That's well, not going to be I suppose how it depends how good you are, right? It kind of it's one of the, the the benefits and the problems with this, and I think we even mentioned it with the fruit picking issue a couple of weeks ago. If you're very good at it, this might be a bad thing. Um, but if 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 you aren't and you aren't even making twenty two dollars an hour on your own, then it may not be. There's going to be a, there's going to be a performance expectation as well. If if menu log only paid, and I'm not sure menu log does. If a delivery service only pays the deliverer, say it's five bucks, mm. five bucks for that delivery, but you're paying them $25 an hour, then you're going to expect them to perform at least five deliveries an hour. And if they don't perform, the jobs are going to be on the line. The stress of them are going to go way up. Well, I'll add a, another level of difficulty with this type of system as opposed to what they're currently doing is let's say uh, they've kind of figured out that they need five yeah five deliveries an hour right which is I, I think difficult um, but what happens when uh, you know if you follow because you can sort of follow where they are quite often the biggest waiting time is not their fault at all it is the restaurant's fault um, yeah, or the person uh, coming to the door, or anything at all. There are Trust so many factors which they can't control. Um, I, I mean, it's coming from Menulog because this, it might be, you know, the better of two evils. But um, I, I'm really interested to see how this ends up playing out for their business model. Yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of interested because. Just like law firms who work on a billable unit, junior employees need to perform to a certain standard, whether the work is in front of them or not. They're still measured by that standard. So if they're not getting their five, six, seven hours of units in each day, even if they don't have five, six or seven hours of billable units on their desks to do, they will still be measured by that standard. Yeah. And I can imagine that there will be a massive turnover of people who are not making their billables each day in relation to this award and they'll just be terminated in a day yeah um, just, you didn't make it today see you later and there's nothing wrong with that no. because it's just a performance measurement and and they're not they wouldn't be making any money off these people i, I mean there's no point in having an employee if if you're losing money on them that's right, there's no point in having a business that loses money. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just kind of fascinated. The other thing I'm also fascinated in is this uh, kilometres per hour. So they've accounted for cars, motorcycles, scooters, and also bicycles and e-bikes. So sure. you've got 
you've got the motor vehicles, the cars, and then the two-wheeled motor vehicles, motorbikes, scooters, and then you've got the bicycles, the e-bikes and the bicycles. And instead of the the traditional 74 cents per kilometre, or 76 mm. cents per kilometre, it's 16 cents per kilometre for a car. For all of them? So so they've just used a, a blanket? They've just used a different measurement. So a car is 16 cents per driven kilometre. Uh-huh. And in most of other other awards, for those who don't know awards, it yeah. sits at around 74 to 76 cents per kilometre. Motorcycles are 14 cents per kilometre, which is far less than the 30-odd cents that you would get in a normal award. And then it's 7 cents per kilometre for a bicycle or e-bike. Right. I wonder, why do you think that is? Why is it? Because that's significantly lower. That isn't. Well, it could be because when an average person is driving in their car for work, they're driving a fair ways. If you have to get in your car and drive somewhere, it's not going to be two kilometres down the road. No. But for these delivery drivers, they have to drive everywhere. And it's all really short trips. So, mm. so maybe they've just come to the decision that this is fair and reasonable. I don't know. So we've got one hour shifts and they can be split. We've got mm. these really small reimbursements for using their own vehicles and uh, there are only two classifications in this award so you've got delivery driver a class one or delivery driver class two now delivery driver class one is just a worker b doesn't have any management over anybody whatsoever mm. and the class two has management over people and that's it the only two classes there are um, I'm just really interested to see how this award plays out in real t- in real terms because what they've done is they've said this is what we think, and now we're going to have all these unions and industry interest groups oh, open the kind of, box, just, just kind of you know poking their fingers in it and going na 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 na. And also we've got this bear off overall situation mm. where there's no benchmark because there's no award before. All we've got is minimum employment standards. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of fascinated to see how this is going to all mm. play out because there's no, the Fair Work Act doesn't say that you need to pay 74 cents per kilometre. So no. it doesn't say that you need to have a minimum shift of. So. I think they're all, I mean, I, I broadly don't have too much of an issue with it because it goes back to what I've always said about why they need that particular award, which is that particular industry and that particular class of worker is mm. so different from everyone else that it would be inappropriate to try and use standards or ideas that we use for every other other person for them. You know, it's kind of trying to put a circle into a, you know, a square into a circle hole. Um, it's kind of fraught with so, so what you're saying is the traditional award does shouldn't necessarily be the benchmark shouldn't be against what the other awards say, but what the industry requires. Well, yeah, we'll have to see how this plays out. I think it's going to take months and months and months. In fact, they've asked for um, submissions for November, so oh, this... we're not going to have an award until God knows when. It might be two years from now. We've still got a bill going through Parliament that deals with the question of whether you can keep your salary confidential in a contract. And that's been sitting there for like eight years. Yeah. So, 
Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really, I think I'm with you with this with on where I'm really interested to see how this plays out for the industry because if it goes the wrong way, I'm not certain that this business model would stand up. It's going to kill the gig industry. Yeah. It's going to kill it, that warehouse that I was talking about two weeks ago that yeah. sells those kitchen spaces. It's going to murder it. And we, we've become so, not I wouldn't say dependent, but I would say so so open to the idea of the industry that if this if if the award is not done correctly, then I, I just can't see it continuing in the way that we know it. Yeah, the, the business model is going to have to end. I, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. I just wanted to bring that up today because uh, I was looking through it yesterday, thinking about this award and how it was going to be affected. And of course, you and I have been talking about the gig economy for a while now because it's kind of this new thing that's really exciting. It's, I think it's one of, unfortunately, there's a few, one of the next kind of frontiers in, um, in, in the employment space. And we know that uh, following the suppose, resolution of Rosado a couple of weeks ago, they're now, uh, in a couple of other cases, turning their mind to whether that case has any effect on the independent contractor question. Um, and there's every chance that all, you know, the factors that we usually look at I think it's the case of Hollis. Uh, they are all, it's all up for grabs. Uh, you know, from what I can see, if if um, if these cases go through, you know, our entire understanding of what is an independent contractor is completely, could be completely new in two years' time. Well, I mean, that's, isn't that what's exciting about employment law, though? It's, is, it's, it's a notion. Yeah, it's, everything is, everything is changing constantly. We, we don't have the settled area of property that some of those practitioners oh, you can just get to get to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the fun. That's where yeah, that's where we, we thrive or it is. Uh, it uncertainty is. creates business. Yeah. I love I love that penundra of doubt and employment law we're always living inside the penundra of doubt. There's very little settled law in the spaces that we work in. I think that I think that's everywhere in law though. Um, I mean, we've spoken about it. I'm not sure on the podcast, but certainly privately, that law is getting harder. Um, law is getting harder. Now, I think it's not just in the employment space. I think you'll find it's in most areas of law where people only come to us when we're in the conundrum. Really complex issues. Yeah, they can do the other stuff. They can do everything that's basic. You know, there's enough stuff online. There's enough calculators. There's enough information sheets, fact sheets. You know, I think it's, you know, they only come to us when it's difficult. This is very true. This is very, very true. I was thinking, I've been, as you know, I've been, um, it is the, it is the season for restraints of trade. Yeah, and, we have uh, that I, was, I was thinking about this concept because we deal with um, forced resignation a fair amount and whether somebody feel, uh, you know, whether, uh, the, resi the resignation itself was constructive dismissal or forced resignation. And we know that forced resignation kind of is underpinned by this um, repudiation space. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking about restraints of trade in the sense where somebody is, feels like they're forced to resign because of the conduct of the employer. And if the employer has repudiated the contract showing that they have had They've got no interest to 
be bound by the terms of the contract anymore, does the restraint still survive? So the question is, if if they don't want to be part of the contract at all, then everything's out and including the restraint. And we know that there's a common law principle that restraints of trade don't aren't implied into contract. Mm. They have to be expressly stated in the contract. So if the written document is repudiated, the party the What's party that? shows they have no intention to be bound by it. What happens to the restraint? And you can see that you know the the the. You can see the line of thinking. If you're not going to be bound by the contract, then the restraint can't possibly be enforceable. But when we're talking about forced resignation, there is a threshold question first as to whether the employer actually showed. They, don't, they, didn't, they didn't just go, you know what, I'm sick of this contract. I'm not having it anymore. You can just go. I don't want to be bound by this contract anymore. Speak. It's different to terminating the employee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we know that. It's a should be said. It's a really big, really really high threshold in order oh. to resignation. You know, to say that someone has no other options and it's not limited options, it's none other than to resign is quite difficult to to sort of prove. Except, I think it's in terms of the threshold question. I think it's lower when the employer is behaving so badly that there is a work health and safety problem. Mm. It's not just about whether they did something that was a bit naughty and breached the contract and therefore showed that they had no intention to be bound by it or whatever. This is about poisonous behaviour that causes a work health and safety issue where it damages the employee, thereby showing the employer is not interested in, in maintaining good faith and loyalty, for instance, or something mm. like that. It's I think the threshold is slightly lower when there's a work health and safety problem. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the the you know psychological issues where you know someone's being treated so poorly and and um, it brings in a health and safety risk, I always like to bring it back to well, what happens if it was something a bit more clear? So if it was something, um, you know, quite physical, you know, you can imagine you might have no option but to resign if you are being requested. You know, let's say you work in a mine or a construction site and you're being requested to do something that all parties involved know is very dangerous, which you're being asked to do it in any event. You can see why that person's got no no choice. I mean, that's no real, real choice. You know, it's either you, you quit or you potentially hurt yourself. And it's the same thing can be said about, I suppose, mental issues as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, find it, I find it really fascinating. Um, because obviously, when I'm doing these advices, I need to I need to crystal ball gaze. I need yeah. to make I need I need to kind of figure out what the courts might do in certain circumstances. Which, ladies and gentlemen who are watching, it's far harder than it sounds in 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 the reality of things. So, but yeah, I was thinking about this repudiation of contract situation, um, and and when it might apply to the restraint, and when the courts might actually give it effect give it effect. Do you think oh. that yeah, do you think that repudiations actually happen a lot more than we realize? You know, it, it's not a super common argument, but you know, I don't think it's necessarily pressed at, at all times. I don't know. It's an interesting argument when it comes to unfair dismissal because it's used mm -hmm. all the time in that space, but 
I don't see many forced resignations getting through to a decision from a commissioner. It always yeah. seems to be settled out at some level. So we, we don't have a lot of direction in that unfair dismissal space. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's used quite as often as people think. And there's also this concept that people think exists about um, misleading and deceptive conduct. That's always a favourite for people who feel hard done by by their employer as well. Yeah. You know, oh, the reasons why I said yes to the contract didn't exist. And we all know people who've attended job interviews, accepted a job and then got there and it's been a completely different position. Yeah, I mean, we, we know this when it comes to the, the job interview, it's just two people lying to each other, really. Yeah. Um, Just people trying to trying to get the other side to agree with them whether it's true uh, or not. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think if you want to use the deceptive, misleading deceptive, it has to be, it has to be significant. You know, something like, um, you know, you say you're going to pay someone two hundred thousand, and then they actually only paid. I had a scenario a few years ago where somebody was doing. Um, uh, tenders. You know, a lot of big companies have somebody specifically to help them with tenders. Yep. Yeah. To get the big jobs. Yep. So this person was particularly good at it and was quite successful for their employer. And there was another company that wanted, that, that poached him, you know, kind of headhunted him, got him in the job, and then made him redundant within five months. And there was a discussion there as to whether they just got him in to get him out of the market or not. Oh, right. Just just sideline him. Yeah, so, to, to, to get him to get him unemployed so they wouldn't have to compete with him. Mm. Whether they were with him or not, they just wanted him out. And I, I think there's a there's a form of misleading deceptive conduct in relation to that. Because there really was no job. No. Um but I suppose with that one, where where is the loss? Because he, he was still employed up for at least five months. Well, it's employable, but the job he had, which he was getting all the success in, and of course his bonuses would have been dependent mm. on it, was gone. Mm. He lasted in this other job for so long that there was no job left. They didn't just employ him and then fire him in a week. It was five months later. And uh, yeah, and they made him redundant. And And it was a large company. And I, I can't help but think that they would have known that that position was going to be redundant five months before, you know. I, five months is, is quite yeah. I mean, short. it never went anywhere. It was just a piece of advice I gave about something from a really long time ago. But it just, I can't help but think that there's, there's a element of industrial espionage to that, kind of yeah. wrecks of yeah. naughty behaviour. It's, uh, but isn't that what was sharp? It's really sharp business practice. It's it's pretty shady, and and I wonder if that's where misleading and deceptive really gets its legs, you know, mm. instead of this kind of oh I went to a job interview and it wasn't the same job when I took it type type argument. Yeah, possibly. Um, you can imagine this that space coming a lot with bonuses, guaranteeing uh, mm. bonuses, and then when it comes around, turns out they're actually really discretionary. Yeah. Or, um, making representations around how likely a bonus will be paid. 
the inducement to come into the job. We're going to pay you 100 grand a year, but you can earn 250 because we've got this great bonus scheme and we know you can sell. So you're going to, it's a deadlock. Or even better, if it's a, um, if it's a business-wide um, bonus based off sort of overall business metrics and they say, well, we are, you know, we've hit everyone. We're, we're about we're just, to hit our target. You know, all we have yeah, hit, We're projected to hit our targets for the next blah, blah. And it and, could be a complete and utter lie. Um, <laughs> not honest at all. <laughs> yeah, did I? It's an, it's an, look, I was just, you know, obviously I was just thinking about it for this uh, forced resignation kind, mm. of, kind of concept. But is there anything on your mind today? Yeah, so I was looking through uh, some of the news that's come through this week. Um, and there's a new bill um, in the employment space going before the Senate, I think, this week. And I suspect it'll go nowhere. And I think it'll just be sit- sitting in with our uh, disclosing. Uh, <laughs> but it's a one. Uh, so uh, Senator Keneally, I think, has put through a bill which says if a person is going on to um, maternal or, or parental leave, um, that irrespective of whether the child is still born or whether they are, in fact, you know, born and, and are raised, that they should be getting the 18 weeks um, paid parental leave. Oh, that's pretty tasty. So no baby to look after. This is what I was thinking was surely, because if they're unfit for work, which is probably going to be the case, we still have personal leave. That's still... Yeah, we have laws to cover that. We have laws to cover that. Um, but I think what she is, is kind of getting at is to deal with being unfit for work by virtue of mental, um, you know, strain or, or mental emotion. Situation. Yeah. I don't think anyone is saying that. 18 weeks. 18 weeks. And this is without provide, because if we're taking it away from the personal leave space, there may not necessarily need to be that evidence that they are actually going through. This that. is true. So we're talking about unpaid leave, just like we're talking about unpaid leave in a normal sense, but mm. leaving the job open for up to 18 weeks. The, and all you've got to do is, I mean, this sounds horrible, but all you've got to do is give birth to a baby that doesn't live. Mm-hmm. And you're you're entitled to it as a matter of fact. Yeah. As opposed to showing that you are, psychologically damaged for the entire time mm. yeah I, it's going to be a hard one to get over the line i think because you're right there are she, he or she that suffers that can just take unpaid leave yeah i i, I think that's still completely open to them and when i was reading it my the first thing that came to my mind was and we see it from time to time when uh Laws are first introduced and then they're, you know, amended, things are added, things are taken away, and, you know, they, they evolve over time. Yeah. Sometimes I find that they are almost missing the point. They're missing yeah. the point for which they were introduced in the first place. And they are, you know, after 20 years, they're no longer what, they're not longer achieving what they originally were yeah. introduced for. Um, and I think that this is probably one of them because I suspect the reason we have, you know, paid parental leave is so people have time to ch- care for their child. I mean, if a child is three days old, they need someone to care for it. Mm, mm. Um, 
but that's not going to be the case. And I mean, no yeah. one's fault, but yeah. and no one's. It's, it's difficult to call it parental leave when there's nothing to parents. Yeah, it's purely on on caring. Yeah. I mean, we have compassionate leave. We've got leave. Yeah. Look, I think I I can see how the eighteen months might come into it because we've got ah. this kind of Fair Work Act statement that says if you're on unpaid leave, essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here for all those lawyers that are listening and going, no, you're wrong, Melanie. Um, huh. you know, if you're on unpaid leave, um, regulated by the regulations for more than three months, then there is an opportunity or, a, or an opening hmm. for termination. So 18 weeks is more than that. Hmm. So I guess it's protecting the employee for longer. I don't know. It sounds weird. I'll be interested to see how this one plays out. I think you're right. This is going to end up with that bill that's talking about um, whether or not you can disclose your your salary or not. I actually like the salary one. There are quite a few countries that have laws that prevent mm. salaries from being confidential. Uh, and I don't have an issue with it. I actually don't either. Um, I mean, I think secrecy only benefits wrongdoing, and I don't think it... You know, I don't think it encourages open discussions about, you know, equality and things like that. I think it, it encourages an ability to do the wrong thing. Um, well, if you kind of if you've got nothing to hide, then I think it. I mean, I know I shouldn't say this out loud, but I don't care about the equality in this particular bill. Mm. You know, yes, that the, the reason why the bill was put in place is to is to stop that glass ceiling and to let women be pay parity and all that sort of stuff. But what about all those people who are all doing the same job in a large organisation who are all getting completely different pays because someone likes someone more? Yeah. Screw yeah. pay parity for females. What about that problem? When I say equality, I don't just mean based on gender. I mean everything that shouldn't be taken into account. And they're not all discriminatory, it should be said, which is part of the reason why you might want to make them not confidential is a lot of the reasons, a lot of the what I would consider to be unfair practices or you know paying someone more than another it's not it's not illegal at the moment um you know it's not illegal to pay someone more because you don't because you like them better than the other no it's nothing wrong with right. that right. You don't off. person for a discriminatory reason but you know what if if you play footy with that guy and just for that reason alone you pay them more that's not illegal at the moment but doesn't mean it's necessarily right but why should it be confidential as well? That's the question. So, yeah, I, I like the bill. I think it should have gone through. I would have wanted to see it. I would have thought that was, I, I like it. But what alas. What was the pushback? Sorry? What was the pushback? Oh, it just keeps getting tabled because it's this concept between Labor versus LNP issue. It just keeps getting tabled and tabled and tabled. Just never gets over the line. So, yeah. Oh. It's disappointing. You know, it, it comes up during an election year and they say, oh, let's wait till the after election. And, you know, it just keeps getting tabled and tabled. I think, I think actually, um, and somebody will write in and tell me that it's dead. I think it died last year. Because uh, there's, this, there's these rules. And I am not the person to ask about all these protocols when it comes to putting bills through Parliament. But it can only be sitting there and do so many sort of cycles. Yeah. And I, I think it went through its last cycle last year, so I think it's a bit dead and buried. But I'd like, let's see it come back. Why can't it be in the Fair Work Act? Why can't they just legislate? Instead of saying oh, it's a contractual thing, can they just act 
actually just leave. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox because I just, anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, all this kind of brings us back around to the the uh, the statement of, or the question, you know, I think we both agree the Fair Work Act is probably due for a bit of a rejuvenation. Um, it's now, what, 12 years old. That's right. Now, that's pretty long for, for a act. Um, it's it's a long time to have a have a document that is meant to be a living document. Yeah. Mm. Oh no. On a, you can probably see I've got something here. I've got a little fluffy ball. Yes. Yeah. It's like really, it's really just, I don't know what you'd call it. It's it Fluff. used to hang off something for the cat. The dog pulled it, and now it's just a fluffy ball. And I'm actually playing fetch with the dog. You playing? Does he do fetch now? Well. Only if it wants me to throw it, it'll give it up. <laughs> it's an unenthusiastic pitch. <laughs> yeah. um, talking about my dog, I was at the dog park. Now, people, and there's, there's <laughs> as you know, there are a lot of views on how people raise dogs. Yeah? yeah. And for those of you who don't watch this podcast regularly, may not know, but I don't see eBay as my child i'm not ebay's mum yeah i've never seen ebay as you know like people call the oh how's you know what's mum up to when they're talking to the dog and weird stuff like that i'm i'm not ebay's and paul's not ebay's dad but i am ebay's mentor you know it look it's meant to look to me to make sure that it's it's behaving in ways that i find acceptable or that the community find acceptable so i'm going to start from that sort of level I had someone come to me, and eBay's a border terrier. And uh, for those who don't know, it's a little sort of short, little haired dog that runs around like, you know, like terriers do. And if you wanted to jump on our website, you'll see a picture of it. Someone someone said, oh, what type of dog is this? And I said, oh, it's a border terrier. She, she said, so that's a cross between a border collie and, uh, and I said, no, it's a purebred. <laughs> to me. Don't. I got upset because because what my dog someone thought my dog was either a mongrel or a, a cross or a this person dog, dog. I was like, why why do I care about that? Well, I mean, isn't it isn't it strange how people can be there is a weird prejudice towards certain dogs. Like we actually are kind of Dog racist. <laughs> dog racist. Well, in, in my mind, there are kind of three types of dogs. There are designer dogs, the oodles, the labradoodles, the cavoodles, the, you know, and there's, there's obviously more than just oodles, but those sort of designer dogs. You've got the crosses that just happen to have bred with another dog of some other description. And then you've got the purebreds that have been, well, I guess designed, but bred to, to, mm. to achieve a particular function as such. So, you know, the designer dogs are more just cute. Lap dogs. Yeah. Very cute, you know, very, very cute. And they very. are very, very cute. Um, you know, and the crosses are just dogs like like my two cats are tabbies. Yeah. yeah. They're all very mongrel, there's a pile of stuff in them or not, and blah 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 blah. And then, you know, purebreds. And for some reason I, I just yeah, I I was offended or upset that someone didn't realize my dog was a purebred it's a it's a purebred how stupid is that yeah you're getting you're getting picky you're getting uh you're getting, getting dog racist. Yeah, 
misidentify the dog, for which they don't know of. Um, to be honest, I actually thought the same thing um, when, when you first mentioned it. I thought it was, well, I thought there was a dog called a border, which I've now found out isn't a thing, uh, and a terrier. But, yeah, I mean. This, this is true. But kids, like, you get fox terriers. People don't see fox terriers as half fox half a half a fox and half a terrier so i don't but yeah it was, it was just this kind of i mean it's so dumb to to see your pet as something i don't know do do my tickle for school you know i i guess maybe i have to reassess how i Are how you... i see dogs i don't know i mean they're all they're all just dogs in the end you know they all just want to be loved and cared. And, and we, we talked about this, didn't we? Because dogs at the dog park, essentially, there are dogs that don't like young dogs and there are dogs that don't like tall dogs and dogs that don't like pug dogs because they freak them out. And, you know, there's all these kind of dogs that, dogs have long ears are freaking dogs out, you know, because, you know, dogs are kind of dog racist themselves. They, they, mm. they like what they like. Um, my dog is a bit funny because she likes every dog. But every dog doesn't like her. Mm. So there's there's conflict. Yeah, I have to watch at the dog park because eBay will be like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And this dog will be going, get out of my face. I actually don't like you. Um, but isn't it interesting that the dog park, when you break it down, is no different to the playground? Oh, my God. It's a massive social structure. They just don't have a, a fence. Like when, you, when people take their kids to the playground, they're doing the same thing. They're just kind of putting them into a space and just kind of, here you go, inter just interact with these complete strangers um, that you may or may not have knowledge of uh, and then just kind of go about it. And they do in almost the exact same way. It is true because you, you take a kid to a to a park and there'll be kids there that are mean to other kids. Yeah. Push them off the slide or do this or do that. Just like dogs are mean to each other. One kid doing their own sort of thing over here and then there's... That's right. Or, they, or another kid wants to come in and play with that kid and the kid goes, go away, I'm doing, you know, I want to do my own thing. And Yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. And of course, I don't have children, mm. which is probably the reason why I don't see eBay as my child. Yeah. But I, I, I did used to be a governor, so I've seen that sort of playground interaction. And you're absolutely right. I think... Just... The, the, the benefit of having children in the playground is most of the kids there are all of the same strengths and abilities. So they can't really hurt That's each other. That, they, and none of them are adults either. So like, not mm -hmm. only, none of them can actually do significant damage to each other. You know, there isn't a full grown adult playing around there. Yeah, I'm so so that happens yeah. at the dog park because I mean you can have a full-grown dog and, and a puppy going at it, and yeah. one you know 100 kilos and one's 30 something like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a um and and I become very um uh protective of eBay because eBay is like she literally loves everybody and everything, so she doesn't she doesn't see the cue, yeah. and dogs get grumpy. They, they get properly grumpy and uh, some of them will bite with you if you're if you're in their face and they don't like it and they don't have that sort of social some of them don't have that social ability to go yeah I'm not going to bite you 
So I'm going to be a little bit mean to you to make you go away. You know, that sort of thing. And there's a dog there that actually bit a different dog um, a few weeks ago. Not the one that you and I were talking about recently, but a different one. And uh, eBay went up to play with this dog. And I picked her up and took her out because I can't be certain that she's not going to bite my dog. And my dog is, this, this is a this is a large 40 kilo dog, 50 mm. kilo dog. And mine's seven. Yeah. There's just no. Oh, oh you are, you're being your, uh, the leader of the pack. You're protecting, protecting yeah, your. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the dog's mentor. So my job is to make sure that she, you know, that she knows when she's in a situation that's not safe and my drag her out and put her somewhere else yeah my job but yes it's uh I just so I, I digress but I just yeah I found myself being really kind of offended that someone thought my dog was a cross and it's a purebred did you call that dog a uh yeah. is your dog a mongrel too <laughs> <laughs> did you shoot straight back at them or did you but for some reason I just said oh no no she's a border terrier it's a purebred I don't know why do we even have to say that what 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 is it about this that you know it's just such a dumb thing to care about? Ah. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we are we're done for this week. Oh. We'll see everyone in a couple of weeks' time. We are. Thank you everyone for listening and or watching. If you have any views on on dog racism, <laughs> yeah. from from dogs at a dog park to. Uh, whether delivery drivers should be paid a wage or not, and uh, to stillborn births. You know, we're covering all the topics at the moment. <laughs> we're going to be. We're going to have, like, hundreds of these hate mails from from everybody in these different environments. Yeah, we're hitting all the different target markets. They're just very specialising in their own right. All right, on that, everyone. All right. Well, it's been lovely chatting, and, yes, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with everybody again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for watching, people. All right, see ya.